everyone, we are back for another episode of the Hallenstein Center's podcast series, Off the Stage. My name is Maddie Miller. I'm the media specialist for the Hallenstein Center. And today on the podcast, I get the joy of interviewing retired vest admiral of the United States Coast Guard, Sandra Stowes. First, Sandra, happy Veterans Day. Thank you so much for your service. And I'm excited to have you on today. Thank you, Maddie. I'm really happy to be here at the Houndstein Center. What an honor for me. <laughs> yeah, it, it, we have been so excited for this event, and um, I know that all of our members and students are excited for tonight as well. We are going to start off the episode today with you answering a few questions from what we like to call our BOQ, Bowl of Questions, which is really <laughs> fancy. So if you want to grab it and pull out a question, um, these were questions that were like submitted um, via social media from some of our followers to ask on this podcast series. So um, you can go ahead and grab one and oh read it gosh. and an answer. This is the first. I've never quite had to do this. Drum roll as I pull a question out. For those who can't see, there's a little thing that looks like a genie bottle, yeah. which I'm worried about a little bit. But stand by. Here we go. Oh, my gosh. You're not going to believe this. If you could eat for free at any restaurant for the rest of your life, where would you choose? That is a big question because there might even be strategy involved, you know, like if it's a franchise so you could eat at all of them, you know, across the U.S. Or is there just one spot that you're hoping to always be able to go to? Okay. I am going to say the first thing that comes off my mind because I have done that most of my career when asked questions. Yeah. You can think about things and hem and haw and hesitate and wonder and try to come up with a perfect answer. <laughs> And I found that just um, being intellectually honest with the first thing that comes to the top of my mind has worked for me. So, okay. Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts. Okay, <laughs> what's your order there? Are you a coffee, coffee drinker? I go in the Dunkin' Donuts and I have for as long as I can remember. Okay. I get a medium coffee, black, hot black. Okay. No room for cream. Two Splendas. And I get, this time of year... A pumpkin donut. Yum. Love yes, it. Yes. I and know. Those I are love so multi-grain bagel toasted with cream cheese. Okay. So there you go. And that's your order. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Well, that is a great answer. I also love Dunkin' Donuts, but I'm not a coffee drinker, more of a tea drinker. And I really do I like their tea options there. Yeah. So it's great. Well, that was a great answer. Let's do one more question from our famous <laughs> bowl of questions. And I will say on the Dunkin' Donuts that... I like it because it has, like, blue-collar origins, like yeah. common people mm-hmm. and um, other coffee shops that are, like, a little more hoity-toity and stuff. Uh-huh. And, and um, I don't know. I just, like, down-to-earth. So yes. <laughs> if you ask me about, you know, I'm not going to be – you're not going to see me in Michelin five-star restaurants. I'm going to be, like, eating at home with – I love to cook. Yeah. Eating oh, at that's home awesome. Or going someplace really casual yeah. where you'd never guess that – hot dogs could be taste as good as the you know best fancy restaurant you could ever go to yeah so i love that to get more to what you were saying about how where you pick a restaurant tell something about Mm -hmm. you that kind of um advances that question yeah that's second question drum roll if you had to choose a career other than what you're doing now what would it be oh this is a good question (laughs) for you (laughs) So I think it's very interesting that I'm pulling this um, question out of the 
BOQ. <laughs> the bowl of questions. Yes. At this stage of my life. Okay, yeah. Because at this stage of my life, my answer is going to be a whole lot different because yeah. I was in the Coast Guard already for 40 years. I mean, how much more blood can you get from a turnip? Yeah. And now I'm doing a lot of volunteer work uh, with mm-hmm. boards and advisory councils. I'm speaking and lecturing. I wrote the book. Yeah. So if I had to choose a career right now, other than what I'm doing right now, which mm-hmm. is no longer the Coast Guard, it's um, talking about leadership and um, trying to give back to the next generation yeah. of young people. Mm-hmm. There's um, the only thing I can think of that I'd rather be doing if I had to be working would be teaching. Okay. So I was talking yeah. to past president Tom Haas last night yeah. and director um, Brent Holmes this morning and like adjunct professors here yeah. at Grand Valley. Yep. Yep. I love Grand Valley. Director Holmes just drove me yeah. through the campus. Oh, it's, it's beautiful. beautiful. I See, know. we have the same word for it. Yeah. And the energy, you can even hear it in my voice right now, getting escalating because the young yeah. people standing on the street corners uh, yep. waiting for the bus to the next place. Yep. I could be an adjunct professor talking about leadership. So yeah. I guess that's what I would do if I had to choose something besides what I'm doing now. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'm glad you're bringing that energy, and I'm glad you got to see the campus too because it really is beautiful I'm kind of newer to the Grand Rapids to GVSU and I also feel the same way (laughs) Um, so now we're going to transition into some questions that I came up with to ask you Um, and we're kind of just going to go a little bit like a little bit of a journey through your career and through your life so kind of starting at the beginning can you share with us a little bit about where you grew up and what you were involved in while growing up um, and what you basically did before you joined the armed forces So keeping in mind that we only have a few minutes for this whole interview and you're talking about hours of talk, I'm going to give the Reader's Digest version of all these answers. So keep that in mind. And if you want more, you'll have to get my book, Breaking Ice and Breaking Glass, Leading in Uncharted Waters, and then you can have 300 pages of these stories. Exactly. So to start, I was born and raised in Ellicott City, Maryland. Mm -hmm. I was born in 1960. I was the oldest of four kids, and my three younger siblings were brothers. So I think that matters. Yes, and because I ended up going into a mostly male environment with the Mm -hmm. U.S. Coast Guard, you know, many years ago when there weren't any women. Mm -hmm. So my parents raised us kids all the same. They didn't treat me different because I was a girl. Yeah, I mean there was, you know, momentum there with all those boys. So Mm -hmm. I ended up being a tomboy, Mm -hmm. and I would play with the boys. You know. pick up football in the backyard of somebody's house yeah and um yeah I had girlfriends too but I felt more like um I was in with the boy crowd more boys in the neighborhood so yeah I think that prepared me I was a very quiet and shy young girl despite playing with a uh, ball with the guys in the neighborhood Mm -hmm. the boys because we were really young then but I was shy and I think that being able to participate in sports um helped me to get the confidence I needed later in life to believe enough in myself to apply to things like the Coast Guard Academy. My parents also taught me core values that really mattered because Mm -hmm. your core values are the cornerstones of your character and your character defines who you are. So my personal core values from childhood were hard work and perseverance and honor Mm -hmm. and um, honesty and humility. And those all were cornerstones of my character throughout my entire life. And I didn't realize that when I was young. Mm -hmm. So I think um, that I tried to capture some of the key points that mattered when I was young that helped me as I went into high school. Title IX had just been passed in 1972. 
And for those who don't know, and I don't blame people who don't, that's the law that provided mm-hmm. equal opportunity and education for girls and women. Mm-hmm. That means a girl like me going into high school actually could have a sports team. Yeah. Before that, girls didn't have sports yeah. necessarily. So I was on the track team, the basketball team. And having a chance to play sports with a assigned coach helped me develop the confidence I needed because I was good in sports, mm-hmm. but I was unconfident in my abilities. So at the same time that Title IX in 72 was passed, the Equal Rights Amendment in 73 was passed, in 75, Congress said, all you Armed Forces Service Academies, we're going to make you open your doors to women. Yeah. They've been just for boys and men, men yeah. before that. So it was West Point for the Army, mm-hmm. Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs, Merchant Marine in Kings Point, mm-hmm. and um, Annapolis Naval Academy, and the Coast Guard Academy in New London, Connecticut. Yeah. All of them had to open their doors to women. Mm-hmm. And I applied. I was a junior in high school when this was announced. I read it in the Baltimore Sun. Yeah. And um, it made me motivated to apply to do something that hadn't been available up until that point. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I actually, you segued perfectly into my next question, which was just that you went to the Coast Guard Academy from 1978 to 1982. And your Wikipedia page, which is where I found some of my research, um, says that you competed on the men's swimming team because (laughs) women's sports weren't introduced yet. What was that experience like? (laughs) So imagine a college that's all men Mm -hmm. with just a few women in the first class, and I was the third class of women to go. Not enough critical mass. Like there was four or five percent women in a thousand core cadet when I, yeah. a thousand person core of cadets when I went. So there were no girls sports teams except except for like gymnastics, which was individual, mm-hmm. and sailing. And so the women had to start up their teams in scrimmage, like basketball. They'd have a yeah. few women, and they'd scrimmage against local high school teams. Mm-hmm. So it took years to build up a whole women's varsity basketball team, and same with swim team. So I didn't compete on the men's swim team. I wasn't that good. Yeah. I participated. I practiced. So the coach let me swim so I could keep in shape. Yeah. And try to keep, you know, feeling like I had a community Mm -hmm. with the swim team. So I really appreciated Coach Dennis for letting me participate with the varsity swim team. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. Um, So we are very much following a trend, which was um, why I've been so excited to interview you today, but just researching you and your story, you've often shaken things up by being the first woman to do things, which for our listeners, I'm just going to read some of the first things that you were able to achieve. And you can correct me if this anything is like wrong because I did just get these from the internet. Um, So Sandra was the first female graduate of the Coast Guard Academy to to achieve flag rank, first woman to command a Coast Guard cutter in the Great Lakes, which we're going to talk about later, and became the first woman to lead a United States Service Academy when she was chosen as a superintendent of the United States Coast Guard Academy. So can you tell us a little bit more about each of those circumstances, what the conversations were like surrounding you? You know, were you confident in yourself? Um, Were you unsure of yourself? And were other people confident or unsure of you? Um, And what does it mean for you today to have paved the the way for so many women in the military? Amazing question. Covers a lot of ground. So it's interesting. So I was in the third class of women at the Coast Guard Academy to enter. And I was the first uh, Coast Guard Academy graduate to be selected for flag rank. So I think Mm -hmm. it shows that the first two classes, I stood on their shoulders because they paved the way in um, an uncertain um, world, so to speak. 
Now, I will say the Coast Guard Academy, I thought, did a great job integrating us women. It's really hard. Yeah. It was just a few individual people who, you know, made us feel unwelcome. But I knew that the institution had my back. Mm -hmm. And the Coast Guard allowed us women to serve on the pointy end of the spear when we graduated. They never precluded us. All the DOD Armed Forces Service Academies and services were precluded by law and policy from having women in combat. Mm -hmm. So therefore, women couldn't serve at the Naval Academy, for instance, on a warship. Whereas in the Coast Guard, we had kind of warships. I mean, Mm -hmm. when I was a cadet, we had 378-foot cutters. And those cutters at times have been armed with harpoon and seawaste missile systems. Mm -hmm. So these are, you know, for all intents and purposes, ships designed to serve alongside the Navy in times of war. We women could serve on those ships, serve in aviation. I'm so thankful I chose the Coast Guard because they didn't um, hold me back from achieving my full potential. Yeah. So I was able to, thanks to some women paving the way before me, uh, be the first woman to um, graduate, to make admiral. Mm-hmm. And then as far as the first woman to serve here on the Great Lakes, up in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, on the icebreaker Katmai Bay, yeah. that's just a matter of um, if you, um, in the military and the officer side, you promote based not just on competence, but on your time in service. So if you're a first woman to graduate from the Coast Guard Academy in the first group, mm-hmm. you are never going to um, escape being the first yeah you're gonna continue to be the first all the way up until you retire Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it was no great surprise that wherever I went I was the first or only woman yeah and that's how the cat my bay went and then the uh, Coast Guard Academy same thing yeah so I was the first woman and I give the Coast Guard credit again Mm -hmm. because I was the first woman to command any of the Armed Forces Service Academies yeah and you might know if your listeners don't know that the Coast Guard is once again paving the way, and Admiral Linda Fagan is the first woman as assigned assigned uh, as the service chief of the Coast Guard, mm-hmm. the Commandant of the Coast Guard, of any of the services. They've never had yeah. a woman service chief until Admiral Linda Fagan. That's awesome. That's so cool. So kind of um, going back a little bit to um, the conversations that were around you, who um, were people that were your main support system when you were um, going through those things? Who were the people that were really had your back and were supporting you in that, um, in those monumental accomplishments for women. And, and you know, I'm not really having time to tell some of the stories behind this, because yeah. you asked about, in the last question, my confidence and and that I believe in myself. Yeah. And no, I um, <laughs> never envisioned myself being an admiral. Yeah. I just wanted to graduate. Yeah. And it was only through my core values of hard work and perseverance that I graduated from the Coast Guard Academy, mm-hmm. which enabled me to eventually then become the first and, yeah. and make admiral. Yeah. So that journey from cadet to admiral started out as a very unconfident young woman who wasn't that great in academics. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to work really hard and persevere to get anywhere and it didn't come easy for me people who supported me along the way were men Mm -hmm. men who reached out their hand to mentor a young woman Mm -hmm. it wasn't the women the women were competitive they weren't gonna reach out a hand and 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 support me they were gonna look out for themselves Mm -hmm. and it's changed I've seen that change over the generation since I joined the Coast Guard but in those early days most of the resistance I got, discrimination or whatever, was from other women, mm-hmm. not men. Yeah. And all the support I got was from men, not women. Yeah. So wow. I think that's important to say, to yeah, acknowledge that, that men can be our allies. Mm-hmm. And when I was on the Cat My Bay as the first woman to be assigned uh, to a ship on the Great Lakes, yeah. my boss 
looked at me when I first reported aboard and said, you're just um, a fair-haired golden girl. We'll see how long you last. There's more to the story. It's in my book. Yeah. And he proceeded to make it really hard on me as a new captain. Yeah. And eventually things got better. And I didn't know why until I found out that one of my subordinates, a man, because it was all men on the ship, mm-hmm. who was senior in the enlisted ranks, he was uh, the, the deck department head on the ship. Yeah. He walked up to the captain's office one day and asked the captain, stop picking on our, our commanding officer because she's doing a good job and you're confusing the crew because it looks like the crew can't do anything right because you're always finding fault with her mm-hmm. and um and it's affecting the crew in a bad way yeah and to the captain's credit he um listened and backed off and that all resolved but why did it resolve because a man who was junior to me stood up for me yeah served as my ally and mentor mm-hmm. and the lesson there is your allies and mentors don't have to be senior people yeah they don't have to look like you mm-hmm. and there's a big myth out there that your mentor should look like you and if you can't see one you can't be one no look at your peers look down at those who could be your ally and if and you yeah. too try to be an ally or a mentor to somebody who's your peer who's maybe above you that's a new person that needs some guidance mm-hmm. and make it an inclusive a truly inclusive workplace by not limiting yourself to misperceptions about what mentors and allies look like yeah well thank you so much for that answer that was awesome and you're really selling your book I'm like I need to read that because I'm sure you have great stories in there Um, So, like I mentioned a little earlier, in 1990, as a Coast Guard lieutenant, you became the first woman to command a Coast Guard cutter in the Great Lakes. So, I, like probably many people listening, have zero idea what a Coast Guard cutter is. So, can you explain that to us and what it was like completing that task? Thank you. So, Coast Guard, we have hundreds of boats and ships and aviation assets like um, helicopters and fixed-wing airplanes. Um, so we, we, we operate a huge um, amount of um, boats and ships and aircraft to do our search and rescue missions, our law enforcement mm-hmm. missions, our marine and environmental protection missions, um, um, responding to natural disasters and pulling people off roofs with our helicopters. Yeah. And all these missions, an icebreaking mission to yeah. clear the waterways so that commerce can move smoothly and safely. So there's, there's all those missions. A boat is usually small enough to where it could get picked up and go onto a bigger cutter or ship. So okay. a cutter is the equivalent of like a ship. And people usually know what a ship is, like a Navy yeah. destroyer or a frigate. Okay. So we call them cutters in the Coast Guard, but they're usually between 110 feet and 400 feet. Okay. And so in the Great Lakes, the cutter Cat My Bay was 140 feet, an icebreaker. Mm-hmm. So it cleared the path across Lake Superior and down to the St. Mary's River and down the St. Clair River for big thousand foot ore carriers, iron ore carriers to take the iron ore from the Masabi range in Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. loaded on the great big thousand footers, go across Lake Superior. So in the winter time, the off seasons when you're in the spring, but you still have ice, icebreakers need to clear the path so those great big ships can move commerce to get the steel, the taconite pellets down to the steel factories in Indiana. You can make steel yeah. to keep America moving. So yeah. that was our mission was to keep commerce moving by breaking the ice on the Great Lakes. Okay, that makes sense now. Thanks so much for explaining that. Um, my next question is that when I was researching, um, I saw a picture of you with U.S. President George H.W. Bush, <laughs> which is really cool. Um, who is someone that you've gotten to meet in your life that was a really cool and monumental experience? 
someone that I got to meet that was a cool and monumental experience. It makes it sound like a um, a one time <laughs> a one time thing. And, or maybe um, you met them several times, or you know now they're good friends. But just someone that you, upon meeting them, thought like, "Wow, this is this is really cool that I get the opportunity to meet this person." You know, I I will say that I'm gonna call it an opportunity to work for somebody. Yeah, fantastic. And when I was a young lieutenant, so that means I was only about 28 years old. Mm-hmm. I had been six years at sea ever since I graduated from the Coast Guard Academy, just going back-to-back sea duty, first or only woman always on my ships. I went back to Coast Guard headquarters, or to Coast Guard headquarters, for my first shore assignment. And it was um, on an icebreaker acquisitions um, project staff, because I'd been on icebreakers. But I got called away from that job really quickly because the president, the new president came in. So speaking of President Bush, he came into office. Wow. And yeah, it was really cool to meet him, but Mm -hmm. I want to tell a a deeper story. Mm -hmm. So um, his secretary of transportation was Secretary Sam Skinner, and the Coast Guard was in the Department of Transportation at the time. After 9-11, we moved to Homeland Security. Okay. So Secretary Skinner asked me to be his military aide, and I got to go up to transportation headquarters as a young woman. Yeah and be part of the senior leadership team for a cabinet secretary. Yeah. And Mr. Skinner, Secretary Skinner, took me under his wing. He brought me into every meeting he could bring me into, even the White House meetings, meetings with captains of industry, so I could sit down with people who were leading um, airlines, people who were leading oil companies, like after um, the Exxon Valdez oil spill Mm -hmm. way back in 1990, I got to meet the CEO of um, Exxon. Wow. So I got to meet all these amazing titans of industry. Mm-hmm. But working for Mr. Skinner and the advice he gave me, the opportunities he gave me. And one day he looked at me, we're riding up to the hill to meet with Congress on some issue. And he turned to me and said, Sandy, what do you think? And you got to put that in context. He's yeah. got a whole suite of senior advisors, assistant secretaries mm-hmm. who are confirmed by the Senate. Here you got a lieutenant, military aide, and he turns to me and asks me what I think. Yeah. And so the power of that to develop more confidence in a young woman mm-hmm. who needed confidence, you know, you yeah. find yourself working for the secretary, you're wondering if you're up to the job, mm-hmm. you know, you're doing your best, and you realize that he believes in you. Yeah. And so here's a man who had a senior position, could have just focused on the policies serving President Bush, Instead, he spends time with Lieutenant Stowe's. Yeah, that's awesome. That's such a cool story. Thanks so much for sharing that. Um, so one of the things in your biography um, that it says is you love spending time with your family. So I was just curious, um, just tell us a little bit about your family, what you guys like to do together, and where you guys um, live right now. So my family consists of my husband, Bob, and Bob was a 27-year Coast Guard veteran. He was a Cutterman too. We served uh, for 14 years at sea. I served for 12 years at sea. Okay. He's an engineer. That's awesome. So he's um, real diversity is different ways of thinking about problems. I think cognitive yeah. diversity, and so he thinks differently about um, things than me. And he's great for a sounding board because we're mm-hmm. a little bit opposites in that way. But okay. we are both kind of introverts, so we both like our time together we love being out in the woods yeah and way before this term forest bathing was an in thing Mm -hmm. 
we were both outdoors people who love to get away in the woods where you're just surrounded by trees that you just wish could tell their story yeah hundreds yeah. of years old mm -hmm. and animals we've got a pet turtle a little tiny Aww. pet turtle That's fun. <laughs> uh, and uh we live in falmouth massachusetts uh, mm -hmm. we're fortunate to live on a um, saltwater pond and we have mm -hmm. a wildlife in our yard uh, we're bordering um, some conservation land so we oh, try to be stewards of that and we yeah. try to maintain native species um, I love to read, and so does yeah. Bob. So sometimes we'll read the same book and then discuss it. Oh, so it's we have like really a personal book club. <laughs> yeah. So and I've been a member of um, a classic book club for years and years. Yeah. Um, not anymore, but that was very formative for me because I learned an awful lot about leadership from mm -hmm. the classic books that I read. But yeah. I just have this whole robust. Um, um, life outside of my um, work yeah lots of hobbies uh, like reading awesome. and kayaking and yeah. exercising and cooking that's awesome yeah what's so. your what's your favorite thing to do for exercise oh I I just you know this sounds so simple but I love to walk yeah. I can't jog anymore because yeah. I just my back is a little bad <laughs> swimming I gotta say okay just Still getting out for yep getting out for a walk I have made it a habit for most of my life to swim about a mile a day wow and um, I'm falling off on that now because we just moved to Falmouth, Massachusetts uh, as a retirement home, and they don't have an indoor pool okay. really close. So I need to start um, going to a Y. It's like a half an hour away. Yeah. But swimming and walking, I do yoga, I oh, do weightlifting awesome. and kayaking. Yeah. Anything. All, all I, good stuff. I just love being outside and being yeah. active. That's awesome. That's awesome to get to know you a little bit more. Um, so I have one last question to ask you. This whole podcast has been awesome. Um, so this is actually a question that I end all of our podcasts with. What advice would you give to someone pursuing a career similar to yours? So that can be, you know, specifically the Coast Guard or just serving in the military overall. Well, I guess I've got a piece of advice and then I'll leave them with my mantra. Okay. My piece of advice is the one thing that seems to resonate one of the things that seems to resonate a lot with people, and that is um, when I was brand new in the Coast Guard, just uh, starting in my first job out of the academy, I was on an icebreaker going to Antarctica, and I was trying to get one of my people that was um, serving under me to do his job, and he was not the most responsive member. And sure, you can give people a direct order because you're in the military, but I went yeah. to my boss and said, I'm having a hard time getting this person to perform up to his ability and I said do you have any advice for me and he looked at me and said Sandy there are three kinds of power personal power professional power and position power and you're gonna succeed in this Coast Guard if you learn to lean on the first two and only use the third the position power as a last resort Okay. so I thought wow I can relate to that um, your personal power that's how you how you act with people your emotional intelligence mm -hmm. yeah. how you uh, treat people um, your professional power is how you present yourself, what you wear, your professional ability, how hard you work, do you support your people? So I'm like, okay, that to me is all about building trust and earning respect. So if I try every single day to build trust and earn respect of my people, then they're gonna do it, they're gonna follow me because they want to, not because they have to, and I'll yeah. never have to go to this position power thing. And boy, was that good advice. Mm -hmm. I would that leave your audience with my mantra for anyone who wants to join the military, start out, I mean, it's intimidating. Yeah. You wonder oh, if yeah. you're ready, if you can do this. Mm -hmm. Be bold. So set 
goals that are beyond your comfort zone because that's hard to do and most of us want to stay where we're comfortable so be bold believe in yourself and others Mm -hmm. and i say others because if you can't believe in yourself maybe you're gonna be hard on others too yeah Yeah. so be bold believe in yourself and others and then you will become the leader of character you're meant to be yeah that's great advice that was a great story attached to it um thank you just overall for um your insight you know into your story it's been an honor hearing it and once again thank you for your service to our country our office is really excited to get to spend today which for those listening today is actually veterans day with such a remarkable veteran as yourself so are you excited for our event tonight oh thank you maddie and of course i am i was just honored to be at breakfast yeah And we had just a wonderful session with so many people from across Grand Valley, across the community, with Jill Wolf from the Secchia Military and Veterans Center and President Mantella having sponsored this entire event. And now, yes, we get to do lunch with the Cook Fellows and then the evening event with the community being invited. And I'm I'm honored to keynote. And I hope that um, I can impart some wisdom and motivate yeah. people yeah. And, and I hope that's my goal is can I yeah. motivate people to be positive to unite mm-hmm. uh, and uh, become all they can be yeah well this is a great way to spend Veterans Day and we're so excited to have you so thank you again for all your insight into your story and for those of you who are interested in hearing um, Sandra's keynote that is available on our website um, if you just want to go to www.gvsu.com edu slash hc slash past events you will see um sandra's keynote there thank you all for listening Thank you for listening to Off the Stage Podcast, a series produced by the Hauenstein Center for Presidential Studies at Grand Valley State University. The Hauenstein Center, inspired by Ralph Hauenstein's life of leadership and service, is dedicated to raising a community of ethical, effective leaders for the 21st century. For more information on our center, our Cook Leadership Academy, or our Common Ground Initiative, visit our website at www.gvsu.edu. To keep up with our current events and reoccurring initiatives, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn, all of which can be found linked below. If you liked this episode, consider giving us a review or rating so we can be found by other podcast listeners. Again, thanks for listening to Off the Stage Podcast.